All right, that's enough about announcements. I want to turn now to our discussion points. And um, I've titled it Bloom Where You Are Planted because you hear this expression every now and then. And um, I've heard it in Christian circles. You won't actually find that in the Bible word for word. But the idea is there. So I want this to encourage you that you may not believe that right now you're exactly where God wants you to be. But for better or for worse, you're planted here at the moment. You're planted at the Gold Coast. You're planted at Ignite Life Church. You're planted in the particular work you are doing right now. Now, that's not the same thing as saying God made you do it all, right? Because I don't subscribe to that. Because I, I strongly believe that we have choice, right? We're not puppets on a string. But let me tell you, God will manipulate us. Right? He'll open doors for us. He'll, he'll push us through. If we are sensitive to his operating in our own lives, all right? But if we ignore him, if we don't give him an opportunity to speak, then it won't happen. And I do want to talk about that a little bit more next week. But this is pretty good advice, actually. Bloom where you were planted. So whatever your circumstances... Allow the Lord to use those circumstances to enable you to produce fruit. Okay. Because once you've bloomed, of course, you can produce fruit. I just have three Bs. Be resilient, be fruitful, and be righteous. Be resilient, be fruitful, and be righteous. Not too much to remember, hey? I just want to share with you briefly God's instruction to Israel in Jeremiah 29. This is quite interesting. Remember, Israel got carted off uh, into exile for quite a long period of time. And this is what God said to them. in a letter and the letter says this thus says the Lord of hosts the God of Israel to all who are carried away captive whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon remember Israel sinned and the consequence of their sin ultimately was that they were exiled from Jerusalem. Build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your son and give your, uh, your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters that you may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive. And pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace you will have peace. Wow. Israel had sinned. They turned their backs on the word of God. And the consequence was they were exiled. 
But God essentially said, while you're in exile, just do what you normally do. Build houses, plant gardens, bear fruit, and while you're at it, pray for the city where you're exiled. Now, I'm not saying that you're in your situation today because you've sinned and God has somehow exiled you from the right city or the right church or the, the right job or anything like that. The point here is that Israel wasn't in a good place. They were in Babylon. But God said, just keep on living. Keep doing what you have always done. And pray for the peace of the city. So even if you're, say, geographically located in a place you don't like very much, nevertheless, pray for it. Pray. If you don't like the Gold Coast, I've never met anyone yet who doesn't. But if you don't like it, still pray for it. Pray for God's blessing over the Gold Coast. Pray for divine prosperity over this place. Pray for healing of the sick. Pray for godly local government. All those things. If you're in a job that you don't like, and sadly many of us are, because most bosses don't understand how to develop and maintain a godly workplace. A lot of Christian bosses don't understand. Let me tell you, I've known a lot. I've worked for both Christian and, if you like, secular organisations. It can be really tough working in a Christian organisation. Christian organisations often have very high staff turnover because they don't look after their people well enough. So you could be in a, in a job, in a, in a work situation that you don't like very much. Pray for your workplace. Pray for the boss. It's okay, by the way, to pray that if they don't respond to what God's challenging them to, that he might move them on. That's okay as well. But pray for a blessing over your workplace. Just as Israel was instructed. As I was preparing this, you know, I thought about Paul's recitation in 2 Corinthians. Two Corinthians eleven, verses twenty-two to thirty-three. Now, um, most of us have read this. Paul was being given a bit of a hard time by uh, the Corinthians. Uh, being a, a Corinth, of course, was a Greek city, so there was a lot of influence of um, idol worship there, a lot of ungodliness, a lot of self-centeredness, a lot of pride, all those things. This is what Paul says. Um, You might remember that this is where he's saying, look, I'm just a fool and I speak foolishly. Then he goes on to, to, to talk about the Jews. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. 
Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labours more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. You know, he was stoned and he was left for dead. But he recovered. Could have been a miracle, couldn't it? From the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Flogged. 39. Lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily? My deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under Aratus the king was guarding the city of the Damascenes with a garrison desiring to arrest me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. That's recorded in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 9, I think it is. See, all this stuff happened to Paul. Now, I reckon just one of those floggings would have done me in. 39 stripes. That bloke was resilient, hey? Despite those circumstances, he wrote most of what we call the New Testament. All those epistles. He had enormous influence on the development of the early church. You see, he, he was the one, for example, who, who brought correction. Can, I mean, get your head around this. There were people who would have known Jesus when he lived on the earth, who would have heard him, who were in those churches that Paul had to correct. I mean, the church couldn't even stay on message for 30 years after Jesus died. It was Paul who put him straight. So despite all of this bad stuff that happened to him, he remained focused on the gospel. He says elsewhere, I determined to preach nothing but Jesus and him crucified. <coughs> right? The central focus of the Christian faith. 
He remained focused because he was resilient. The second is to be fruitful. If you look at the King James Version of the Bible in Genesis 1.28, that's where God says, Be fruitful and multiply, replenish or fill the earth. So there was a, an overall blessing that God spoke over the whole of humanity to multiply. The kingdom of God is about multiplication, not just addition. It's about multiplication. And you'll see that there's reference to blessings multiplied multiple times in the Bible. So there's this general heart of God towards humanity that we be fruitful. And it doesn't just mean in terms of having lots of children. Although, of course, children are a blessing. It's fruitfulness in every area of our lives. And we see that in Deuteronomy 28. Now, it does us good, I think, to read that because we often talk about Deuteronomy 28. That's where we find the blessings and the curses, so to speak. And I just need to make, a, I guess, a preliminary comment. The blessings in Deuteronomy 28, of course, were for Israel and they were contingent blessings because they were contingent upon Israel obeying God's commandments. Now, us who are Christians today, or we who are Christians today, we access the blessings through faith. Faith that because God is a God of grace, under the covenant of grace, the new covenant, God has provided. And we access the blessings by faith and faith essentially is the way in which we respond to what God has provided through this covenant of grace right the wholeness the divine health the divine protection the divine prosperity all of those things we access by faith Faith is not huffing and puffing and jumping up and down and praying out loud. Faith is responding positively to what God has provided to us by his grace through the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. So here we go. I will read the whole lot of it. It's good to remind ourselves that God's desire is that we be fruitful now it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments which I command you today that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall, be, shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the country. 
Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, and the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flocks. There's multiplication right there. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. We have that printed on our floor mat outside the door there. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and in all to which you set your hand. You can claim that. The Lord will bless you in all to which you set your hand. I often pray that for Jeanette before she goes to work. And he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself, just as he has sworn to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. Then all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, and in the produce of your ground, in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. I love this verse. This is verse 12. The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hands. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and be careful to observe them. As I said, obedience to the commands for the Christian church is actually replaced by faith. That God has provided all that we have need of by his grace through the new covenant. This covenant that Paul describes as a better covenant. It was better than the old covenant because it wasn't based on law. It was based on grace. And grace is both unmerited favour and the influence of the divine upon the heart enabling us to live as he desires. I mean, this is how good God is. He even changes our heart to give us the capacity to respond in faith to what he has provided by his grace I mean this is amazing our finite minds find this very very hard to understand because we're kind of caught in this idea of merit right that we, we get ahead by merit we, we get what we deserve well no as Christians we don't get what we deserve we get what we don't deserve now listen, lots of theologians write about this and say, no, 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 all those promises, they were made for Israel corporately and they only applied to Israel corporately. But I believe it is reasonable that that is a picture of the new church, the Christian church. We don't replace Israel, by the way, that's another story, but God has never given up on Israel. That's a different issue. Don't get me wrong. We don't replace Israel, but 
but the promises apply to us. Now, the new covenant also is very much focused on individuals. There is both an individual and a corporate component. So, yes, the world should fear the church, not because we're going to kill them, but because we got the truth, not the politicians, not all those people on TikTok and, and Facebook and Twitter who try to tear They should be frightened of tearing us down in social media because we've got the truth and we've got the power. I'd be a bit scared if I was some of them. You know, if we, if we, if we had the heart to pray corporately, they'd die. That's how, that's how powerful the Lord is. I'm, I, I actually believe that. <clears throat> and we've often prayed the bloodline of Jesus around our own house for protection and we, we declare nothing with evil intent either in the spiritual or the physical realm can cross that bloodline and live so woe betide anybody who tries to rob our house because they got to come across that bloodline of Jesus have I embarrassed some people because I'm getting so excited <laughs> it's true you know people should fear us I suspect the reason they don't is because we don't know we're supposed to be feared. And it's not because we're going to whack them. It's just because they can't stand against the power of God. And listen, I am every bit as much at fault as anybody because I know I don't pray enough. And half the time my prayer is focused on my needs. But actually we need to get more outwardly oriented. Um... Mark said to me as he came in this morning, did I hear right, Pastor Rod, but in Victoria they've got legislation now which, which makes uh, drug oil, you know, oil drug taking legal? <coughs> yes, they have. Right? This is the latest thing that's happening down there. It's actually legislation to decriminalise all drug taking. Now, a lot of people say, oh, that's a good thing. You don't want to make them criminals. But, but what other people are saying is, yep, Victoria will now become an absolutely unlivable place. It'll become so dangerous. And I can tell you, my, all my training as an economist says this. When you decriminalise anything, those people who were just holding back because it was a criminal offence, they will now have no fear and they'll jump headlong into it. Do you know what? Those politicians, they should be so scared of God that they wouldn't dream of doing something like that. Sure, pour a lot of money into rehabilitation. Absolutely. Do all you can to rescue people from addictions. See, if God wanted Israel to live by a different standard so that God could demonstrate himself or reveal himself, to the world. And it's the same with us, the church. And this is not so much an individual responsibility, this is corporate. And, and I'm, I, I don't know whether I've turned this into a doctrine, not yet, because I maybe haven't done enough research on it, but I suspect that one of the reasons why there is so much sickness and sorrow in the church today is that as a body corporate, we are not fully 
embracing the truth in the Word of God. Tell me. There's the truth. There's the truth. That's the truth. You see, that's a corporate thing. Right? Christy can't fix that today. She knows what the problem is. And I agree 120%. But it's a corporate thing. You know, every pastor has to be prepared to stand up according to the standards in the Word of God. And I don't know that I always do because I haven't got enough courage maybe. Or conviction, I don't know. I read, I read yesterday, um, I haven't had an opportunity to confirm this, but researched by the Barner Organisation in the United States, 60% of professing Christian men look at pornography. 33% of professing Christian women do too. I can't get my head around that. But fortunately, only 40% of pastors do. What? <coughs> Zero. See? You know, if the church has now lost its power, you need to look to the leaders. See, remember, Jesus got stuck into the religious leaders. Didn't bother too much about the Romans. You need to hold people like me to a very high standard. And, and you do, you need to be, but, but you know, as, as a leader, I must. Otherwise, the corporate church is not going to have the power it ought to have. So we need to be fruitful. Well, I'm probably getting on to the next thing. But look, all these blessings, no, they're not just meant for Israel. Israel has is kind of abdicated, in a sense, its responsibility. So right now, there's this, if you like, a dispensation that applies to the Christian church, and we need to take on the role that Israel was originally meant to have. And in fact, people should look at us, and they should be jealous of us. In a sense, you know what God wanted to do, I know I've said this before, but what God wanted to do was to show himself off through Israel. That's why he wanted to bless them. See, nobody is going to say, I want to be like you if you're cursed. But I tell you what, if you're blessed beyond measure, blessed so that you overflow, people are going to say, yes, I want some of that. So we need to be fruitful. You know, when we go to work or when we're volunteering in our neighbourhood, whatever, let the work of our hands be blessed. Let it be fruitful. I want to encourage you in this, not condemn you. I got off on a bit of a tangent, but man, the church doesn't have power in the public square today because the church is not serious enough about the word of God. And, and, and that, I know it was funny, that video we showed earlier, it's actually titled Wrong Worship. But how often does our heart become inconsistent with it? You know, we're singing like that in our heart. If we did a bit more 
holiness, we might do a bit less hand-wringing when we learn about things that are going on in places like the Victorian Parliament. Well, I better move on. Trust in God. Let's have a look at Jeremiah, verse 17. Oh, sorry, chapter 17. Verses 7 to 8 of Jeremiah chapter 17. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when the heat or drought comes. But its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought nor will cease from yielding fruit. Trust in God. Psalm 1, verse 1 to 6. It's a bit of a primer in a way on trusting God. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. For us, that's grace. Our delight is in the grace of of the Lord and in his law he meditates in his grace he meditates day and night he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season whose leaf also shall not wither and whatever he does shall prosper take that home whatever you do shall prosper be fruitful and that's not meant to put you down. That's meant to be an encouragement. It comes from the word of God. You see, that's, this is one of those if-then things. Blessed is the person who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners. That is, nor doesn't hang around with sinners. Doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful, you know, blaspheming everybody left, right and centre. But his delight, his joy comes from meditating on the wonderful grace of God that we have access to because of what Jesus did. We'll be like the tree planted by the waters. We won't be affected when the rain doesn't come. We will always bear our fruit in season. Whatever we do shall prosper. Hallelujah. I've already quoted from John Wesley, 18th century. Employ whatever God has trusted you with in doing good. And he defined doing good very broadly, as I've already mentioned. St. Francis de la Salle. True charity has no limit. Charity actually means good works in that context because he was writing in the 16th and early 17th century. For the love of God has been poured into our hearts by his spirit, dwelling in each one of us, calling us to a life of devotion and inviting us to bloom in the garden where he has planted us and directing us to radiate the beauty and spread the fragrance of his providence. Well, do you know you can spread the fragrance of the providence of God just by being you wherever you happen to be 
people around you don't know what label to put on it, but they sense it. Because they've still got a spirit that just hasn't been regenerated, right? You carry the fragrance with you because you're anointed by the Holy Spirit. Remember what it says in Psalm 8, I think it is? You're crowned with the glory of God. They might not know that's what it is, but you carry it. The Word of God says you do. You might not feel like it, but you do, because the Word of God says you do. You carry His glory. You radiate the beauty and spread the fragrance of His providence. That's just another way of saying His grace. So be fruitful. And the third one is be righteous. Now, I, th I thought a bit about whether or not I should use the term righteous because it's often misunderstood, right? To be righteous is effectively to be fully aligned with God's character and his purpose. But primarily we're talking here about character. That's what it means. Now, you are righteous in God's eyes. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. If you're in Christ, then you are the righteousness of God. If you are the righteousness of God, then you already have the capacity to be righteous. All right? You have the capacity to be righteous. So how do you manifest that? Well, one way, of course, is to be salt and light. Let's turn quickly to Matthew chapter 5. Verses 13 to 16. This came just after the so-called beatitude. Remember, blessed is he, blessed is he, blessed is he. It was probably part of the same teaching that Jesus gave, although it's not always easy to know if that was the case because of the way in which people wrote back then. Sometimes they brought ideas together which could have been separated geographically and uh, in terms of of time but this is what Jesus says in verses 13 to 16 you are the salt of the earth but if the salt loses its flavour how shall it be seasoned it is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men you are the light of the world a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. This is, I believe, the overall calling that was placed on Israel and now on the Christian church. We are to be salt and light. I've said this before, when I'm standing here, I'm looking at you, I don't really see a congregation. What I see is ministers. Ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Each one of you, you've got your own congregation, probably multiple congregations. Families, neighbourhoods, 
broader community, workplace. Your job's harder than mine because everyone who's here, broadly speaking, agrees with me, right? You, you won't necessarily agree with everything I say, you won't agree with every idea, but broadly speaking, there's a measure of agreement here. You might find that people in your workplace don't agree with anything that you believe, right? So you've got a pretty tough job. So one of, one of the things I am called to do, as part of my calling as a pastor, is to equip you to be salt and light, equip you for the works of service, which are many. So your, your ministers, I'm a minister, the only difference between you and me is that I've got the title pastor. But you still pastor people in your household, in your neighbourhood, in your workplace, wherever you happen to be, you're a minister. And God relies on you to be a demonstration of who he is. Just as it was intended for Israel to be the demonstration of who God is, today it's the intention of God's intention for the Christian church. Sometimes he must think I should send another flood, I reckon. <laughs> he must sometimes think, man, I wish I hadn't said I wasn't going to do that again. <laughs> who, do you reckon, who do you reckon Noah would be today? Don't think it would be me somehow. <laughs> hmm. I'm not going to lose any sleep over that, but anyway. Because God said he wouldn't do it again. But, you know, it, I, I, I do think, you know, man... The church, the, the body corporate that is the church needs to consider what it means to be salt and light in a world where there is a lot of darkness and a world that needs a lot of seasoning because it's a dark, dangerous and unhappy place for a lot of people. The next verses that I want to read out for you sort of causes to change tack a little bit. Now these verses, verses are often read uh, in the context of vocation, of God's calling, uh, in the context of your work. Let us read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 20 to 24. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. In other words, whatever you're doing, when you become a Christian, just stay there. You don't need necessarily to move on. Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it, but if you can be made free, rather use it. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freed man. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. It's a bit of a play on words there. What he's saying is it doesn't matter what your circumstances are at the time you're saved. It's all okay. And you don't need to feel pressured to move on. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called. Now, we, we have a particular perspective on, on what it means to be a slave. And certainly today, most, if not all people who are enslaved are being treated 
inhumanely, certainly not in accordance with any biblical principles. And there are a lot of people in slavery today, uh, depending on how you define it. If you include people who are in forced marriages, about 45 million people around the world are in slavery today. And there are slaves in Australia. Most of them in the sex trade. They're tricked into coming to Australia. They get here, they have their passports um, pinched so they can't get out of the country. They are literally living and working here illegally so they don't feel empowered to go to the authorities and they end up working in brothels. About 12 to 1300 people are believed to be enslaved in Australia today. However, at the time Paul was writing, certainly not all slavery was like that. Remember, it was a pretty poor society. Uh, when Jesus was around, and in, in the days of the early church, about um, a quarter of the population were living below the starvation level. Society wasn't very wealthy. People who were doctors or accountants were often slaves by choice because, in fact, their standard of living was higher as a slave than it would have been as a free person. So, so Paul isn't saying, you know, do all you can to gain your freedom from slavery. What he's saying is, if you were a slave, if you were not, keep doing what you were doing when you were called, that is when you became a Christian. Now, some people, when they become Christian, think that the job I'm in couldn't possibly be a godly thing. It's not a spiritual thing. What I need to do is to become the youth pastor or the worship pastor or I need to go to Bible college so I can become ordained, right? And, and, and there's a lot of pressure in churches to do the same. You know, you come and work in the children's ministry or, or come and clean the church on Monday mornings after we've made a big mess on Sunday. And all of a sudden, people start thinking, oh, this spiritual work, that's all the stuff that happens up here. What? All this. And then there's non-spiritual work. And guess what? The spiritual work is better. That's a lie. That's a lie. And that's one of the implications of what Paul is saying there. It's a lie. Whatever you do is spiritual. The Bible never, ever, ever drives a wedge between spiritual and non-spiritual because everything is spiritual. It does drive a wedge between spiritual and carnal. Carnal very easy to understand. Carnal is simply going off and doing things your own way. Responding to the flesh, in other words. All you have to do to be spiritual, no matter what your family circumstances, no matter what kind of community you live in, no matter what work you are doing, all you have to do to be spiritual is to respond, respond to the Holy Spirit instead of responding to the flesh. Now, some people may be in the wrong assignment and I, I, I want to address that I won't do it today hopefully we'll do it next week but if we're all having too much fun I 
you don't have to get involved with the church to become a Christian in order to be doing something spiritual. See, if you really are a minister, wherever you are, you're doing something spiritual. Wherever you are. If you are responding to God through the Holy Spirit's prompting and not being directed by the flesh, then you are doing something spiritual. Right? Doing a bass for someone. That's spiritual work. Dealing with a complaint coming into the business. That's spiritual. Designing solar, uh, yeah, solar systems. Deso no, well, God designed the solar system, but you know what I mean, right? You're not that good, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> but it's spiritual. Look, it might not feel it, but it is. And that's what Paul is saying here. And you see, that's, that's, that's what righteousness is about. He's not even doing the right thing because done it all, we don't. But it's this positioning of our hearts. Yes. I want you to guide me today, Holy Spirit. That makes what you're doing spiritual. And, and I believe that as you do that, as you do everything you can with the help of God to be resilient, to be fruitful and to be righteous, sooner or later, you'll figure out what your specific assignment is. Yours will only. And your assignment could be multifaceted. <coughs> I'm pretty comfortable that I'm engaged in the assignment that God has for me. But my assignment has changed over, over time. I don't think my vocation has. It has to do with communication in general. I don't think my vocation has changed, but my assignment has. And it may be that God has a different assignment for you, and that is discoverable. But that is a matter for us to consider at another time, if we can just move on.